Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> The impact of sexual violence goes far beyond the physical injuries. It can make the world feel like not a safe place anymore, but you are not alone. You can be a victim of a predator and still find a way out. Eric Joshua Harazi, welcome. Is this your Rocky Horror Picture Show look? Yeah, this is, this is going to be my Rocky Horror Picture Show look. That and Thigh Highs. Nice. Yeah, tell me about your love for the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Well, who doesn't have love for that? I mean, before my trauma and stuff, I did that show live. Because my background is theater. I did that show, and it was the last show I ever did on stage um, as an actor. So it holds a little bit of a, a place in my heart. So that's why I'm doing it as my first big fundraiser for my nonprofit. Wow, it's, I love that. So it's it, really has a deep meaning for you. Yeah, it, it, I went into stage management just so I can still do theater because it was very hard for me to go back on stage as I was trying to figure out who I was as a trauma person, as, a, as an addict, as this new being that I was. So I entered stage management. So now to do a fundraiser at the same exact theater with one of the original cast members I did the show with, who's, who's coming down from Tallahassee to do it, to do it as a fundraiser to help sexual assault survivors, to help addicts become the better version of themselves. It's kind of a full circle and an amazing thing. All right, well, we got to back up to the trauma since you kind of started there. You're like, well, before my trauma, but we got to yeah. talk about the trauma. So when I was 30 years old, I'm 43 now, I was drugged and sexually assaulted. Before that, I never did any drugs. I maybe tried meth once. I never really was a drug person. I never did. I never did anything. I got drunk three times in my life at 30. It was never my thing. I was doing summer stock in Massachusetts and I went to go meet up with someone, let's say, and we were going to do dishes. We were going to clean house and, <laughs> and no, we were going to, we were going to go meet, meet up. We were, I was going to his house, an older gentleman. He was in Albany, which was just like a hop, skip and a jump from where I was. He was like, hey, you want to try this? And I was like, I'll send him like this old 1920s movie. Hey, hey, hey. And uh, <laughs> I was like, sure, why not? He got me super high smoking, smoking meth. It was so bad. He shot me up with meth and I didn't really know what was going on. And then he raped me. Oh my so, God. Yeah. So he raped me and that lasted like 10 minutes. Like he couldn't even, he couldn't, I was like, that's sad. I really did not even know that was what that was because I was in such a euphoric state that I was just having fun. I was having this good old gay time. He was like, okay, we're done. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? He had a friend waiting downstairs for me. It was like a movie, like without knowing this, he had a friend waiting downstairs for me who took me to his place in town, who then put me in a basement for like seven to eight hours. Oh and my God. I was sexually assaulted there with a few other men. And so that was my introduction to 
to drugs and to gay culture. And I hate to say that, but that's what that was. And I, and if I jump all over, I'm sorry, but I was, I used to be 350 pounds for most of my life until I was 28. Wow. I had gastric bypass. So I lost all my weight. Guys weren't really interested to me. I lost all my weight and then that happened. Oh my God. It was like, welcome to the world. You're adorable. We're going to sexually assault you. So that was my introduction to it. Wow. When you have IV meth or any IV drug, it's a whole different beast of a drug. It kind of lives in you. It gives you that, that hunger of like you really want it. And so I became a quick IV drug user. Whoa. I couldn't wait for ne my next fix. I blacked out twice during the whole process. They were done with me. They said, you're done. Goodbye. And I was like, um, okay. I drove back to my summer stock. But like, wouldn't you want to be done with them too? To me, this was just, it was just sex. I was just having, I was having a good time. I didn't know any of this was sexual assault. I was so high. I was so high. I was just having fun. I was like, and I was like, oh my God, these guys, these guys are, are into me. This is, this is, this is a great vibe. This is awesome. But I, they kept me high for that reason, because it puts you in such a euphoric state. At what so, point did you feel like it was assault? Five, six years later, when I went to my first trauma treatment center, I went to a place in North Florida. I went to about eight treatment centers in my span of 11 years. I went to a few rehabs. It wasn't really doing it. One, they're like, you have a lot of trauma. I was like, do you want to know? From that first dose, you got hooked right away. And then- right away. right away, I went from a job in Massachusetts. I was there for a, one more month, I think. I drove to another job. So I won the lottery on my way down. No lie. What? No lie. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I have crazy, my stories. The crazy. actual freaking lottery? So I was driving and I go to the gas station and I say, well, let me get a $5 scratch off. Last $5 scratch off they had. And it says $40,000. I'm like, hold on one second. I look at the, the person behind, but there, now there's a line there. So I don't want anyone knowing. I look at the person, I'm like, I'm like, can you just scan this and don't say a word. If it's correct, just nod your head. And if it's no, just say, just shake it. And so they scanned it and she goes, I said, well, thank you. And you have a nice day. And I won $40,000 at a looking for a porn store. That's on my, amazing. On my, on my way to my next job as a brand new addict, which in my head, I'm like, well, that's like, that's going to be lovely. Like, this is going to be great. <laughs> You're like, that's a lot of drugs. This is going to be fun. And so I drive to where this new job is, Nashville. And I'm like, I'm the stage manager there now. I'm living in this cast housing. And I'm like, well, let me go find someone to shoot up with. Because that was the first thing I wanted to do. That was the first thing I wanted to do. I was so hooked. I was so hooked. So now I'm a brand new addict with all this money. Because I had like maybe... $500 in my bank account at that point. Um, I want to know how you collect it. Like, how do you collect that even? Oh, they give you a check right there and right then and there. What? Yeah. I bought like a digital camera and I bought, <laughs> I bought um, a TV for my room for that house. And I bought meth because I was a drug addict. Please tell me you did not spend all of that on drugs. I, and cruises. Oh, that's cool. At least you took a cruise. Where'd you yeah. go? No, I, went, I took a few cruises. All right. And to the Caribbean. A lot to the Caribbean. I don't know why. Ooh. 
And there are probably some good drugs there. No, I didn't. No, I didn't do drugs on those. No, I, I was a very, I was a very odd drug addict. I didn't want to like get involved with like my work, so I would tour for like three months and then use and then tour and then use. That life and that life never were together. So I always was able to separate those two. When I went into this trauma treatment, we were going through this process of me telling the story of everything. They kept saying, you realize you were assaulted, right? I said, no. I said, I was enjoying myself. This is one of the best trauma treatments in the United States. And they were breaking it down step by step of every section of what happened, how premeditated everything was. And I looked at everything, like I had to look at it from a small picture and then from the big picture. And I realized that I, that it was a premeditated sexual assault, the whole thing. And the first thing that came to my mind was that they really didn't like me. Like that was the first, that's, that's how low my self-esteem was as a person. They just wanted to use me. That's horrible. And that's, that was my first thought, which is so sad. Now that I think about it, now that I'm a healthier person, I can think about that. I'm still a little like foggy on how did you meet that person? And like, how did all of that unfold? On Grindr, probably. It was probably on Grindr. There's so many apps and websites. There's some dangerous websites out there. There's drug websites out there for gay men that that are just dangerous out there. Whoa. That that predators go on to look for people like, like me, who I was. What were you doing on there? I was probably curious and I was, I grew up in a house where my father died when I was 14. My mother was a widow at 38. And oh my God. With two teenagers. And it was hard for her to navigate that, which I didn't understand as a kid. So that wasn't easy for us as a, in a relationship. And she had trouble picking the right people to be in her life. So that ended up with us not talking for seven, eight years. So that left me alone a lot. As a gay male in the 90s, early 2000s, it was a very lonely life for gay men. We had to kind of figure it out on our own. It wasn't at, like it is now where there's people to tell you, come come with us, we'll teach you everything. We'll, we'll, we'll show you what it's like. It was just a very lonely time for, for gay men. When did you come out? Um, when did you know? Like, um, oh, well, no. I mean, I knew when I was. I knew when I was a kid. I officially like told people between the ages of like nineteen and twenty-one. Did you ever talk to your mom about it? No, my mom. This was after my dad died. My mom was at her boyfriend's house, so I had the house all to myself. I was like, there we go. <laughs> Let's get on this big computer. The next day, <laughs> my mom comes home and she goes, "Listen, Eric." We were on the computer at his house and we saw that you were in a men for men's room. I was like, no, I slipped. Uh-huh. I was like, I didn't mean to go in there. I, I went out really quick. I went in and then out really quick. It was a mistake. I clicked, I double clicked. I double clicked it really quick. And she goes, okay. She goes, if you ever want to tell me anything. I was like, no, I, no, it was a mistake. It was, I just, I was really just checking it out. I'm not gay. Fast forward to now, plot twist, I'm gay. (laughs) How did your mom respond to that? We stopped talking for about seven years. So when I actually 
officially told people that I was gay, we weren't speaking at the time. She heard through like my sister or my grandmother. So we weren't talking at the time. What was uh, your relationship with your dad like? And I say this in the healthiest way right now because I've done a lot of therapy on this. My dad was an asshole. My dad was abusive. My dad was an asshole. He passed away young. He passed away at 42 of leukemia. Oh my gosh. He had some really good moments. He had some really good moments and I won't take that away from him. Like there were some times that he could be very caring and very loving. He was Israeli. After a lot of therapy and dating stuff by his age, I feel that he had PTSD because he was in the Israeli army and he might've been in the Israeli war. So it explained a lot. And it's I saw- crazy that you're around his age when he passed away now. Do you think about that? I do. I, I think about that a lot in my teens, so in my 20s. And I always said I was going to die by the age of 40, in my 40s. I always said I was going to die in my 40s. And it's so funny because I overdosed in my- That's 40s. not funny. No, that's not funny. In my 40s, I overdosed. Oh my God. I did die in my 40s, but I died into this- different person like interesting my old, my old life died habits died you're born again I, I I'm a born I'm a born again watch out if I come knocking at your door uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would love to know your thoughts about religion if you are open to talking I, about I, any of I that am not, I am not religious okay I was raised Jewish my father did the whole talus at the stove thing with the blocks and the uh, oh, he did to fill in. Wow. Yeah. See, I don't even know the names of those things. He made us like star ourselves in Yom Kippur. And then, then when he died, we were like, that's my least favorite part. Yeah. Starving myself. I, I do it, but I don't like it. Oh, we were a fat family. So that was like, that was like torture for us. We were like, we were like, Fuck this. I don't like to miss breakfast. I know we were like, this sucks. <laughs> so when he died, we were like, rules are done. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, this is over. No more fasting on Yom no Kippur. <laughs> I haven't really been to a synagogue since my bar mitzvah. <laughs> Do you believe in God? I believe in something greater than us. Give it whatever name you want. I believe there's something greater than us. I, I believe there's something looking out for me. There has to be because I should have died many times. Listen, I've been through 11 years of relapsing and shooting up meth. I've been through four major sexual assault traumas. We sang probably at least 50 altogether of sexual assaults in the, what? in the span of 10 years. I have had two suicide attempts, two nervous breakdowns. I contracted HIV. I contracted hep C. No. Yeah, I'm, I'm hep C free though now. So I went through all of that and I should be dead. I would be an asshole if I did not think that there was something greater than myself. My father, he died 11 years ago. I wear his necklace. I, I hold on to it when I need to. I feel that he's one of the people. I feel my father. You know, I had to forgive him, not just for me. I had to forgive him for him. So, Did you get to say goodbye to him? Like, what was the end like? That goes into another trauma. I was 14. They said, you should go see him. He was in the hospital. He was on tubes all over. And no child should see that as their last thing of their parent, no matter how much you hate him or her or whoever. And so the last thing I saw was 
him with tubes and arms swollen. And for many years, I couldn't sleep with my lights off. I couldn't, even until now, I still have to sleep with the TV on. So it was a bad closure. I remember walking out of there hysterical crying. That was a horrible trauma as a child. But I would like to talk about forgiveness too, because you've mentioned that word a couple of times. And I think that that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, 100%. A lot of this stuff is stuff that I've learned on my journey. I'm not a therapist. It's stuff I've learned on my journey and I paid a lot of money for people to tell me to say. And I don't have to forgive everyone. I don't have to, I don't need to. I can pick and choose who I wanna forgive. That's true healing. When you can decipher who needs forgiveness and who doesn't need forgiveness, that's how you know what healing is. I've heard from a few people that have gone through rehab and 12-step programs that sometimes you write a letter and then instead of sending it to that person, you just rip it up at you. I didn't really have that many letters, honestly. I wrote one to my first rapist. The therapist goes, what is this? So I start reading it and they said, nope, that's not good. I was like, I'm sorry, what? They're like, nope, that's not good. I was like, but that's my letter. And they said, first of all, it's typed. I said, yes, it's typed. They said, no, you need to write a letter to your rapist. That was your assignment. They had to explain it to me. When you write pen to paper, you're getting it out. You're right, you're actually writing something. You're getting your feelings out. You're getting your emotions out. And so I redid it and I started writing it. And it was so interesting that when I redid it, the ending started changing as I'm writing it because I was actually writing it and the feelings started coming out and the ending changed to anger and hurt. It wasn't as I forgive you and, and it wasn't as I wish you this and I wish you this. It wasn't that anymore. It was you ruined my life. You made me into this. It became a whole different thing. Do you feel like you understand the rapist? There is this thing called trauma bond, trauma repetition. And I had to redo my trauma. For many years, it was sex and meth. And I had to replay this, this original rape. I had to replay this whole scenario because that's how I was introduced into this shooting up of meth. So I wanted it to always happen like that. My four major ones, I really won't go into detail just because it doesn't need to go into detail, but they were very major. I was traded for drugs. I was sold ticket-wise to uh, be shown for sex on the internet. And I was hogtied to a ceiling for a while and people were taking pictures and stuff. And this is all while I was being shot up. Like I was high and stuff. Oh my God, that is so traumatizing. That really is. Yeah, so those were my four major ones. And then you have to remember, this is also in a span of 10 years. I hate them. Yes and no, because yes, as people, they're horrible. No, because I don't know if I would be who I am today if I didn't go through those experiences. I might cry a little bit, but I don't know if I didn't have these experiences in my life as horrible as they are, would I be at this higher self that I am? Would I be wanting to help other people who went through or going to go through or about to go through what I've been through in my life? And it's not a martyr if I had to go through that for me to end up on this side of the fence then that's what I had to go through. That is a deep realization. Yeah, and it took a while. It took a while for me to get there because for 
a long time it was, I didn't want to, I wasn't worth standing in this spot that I'm standing in. So please just take me out of it so someone else can use this spot. I was so empty. I was such a shell of a person. My essence would float around me and I would have to, whenever I needed it, I would have to like take a piece of my essence and hold it in to use it at that moment when I needed it and then release it because it just couldn't, it couldn't stay here. And that's how I knew that this was worth something. When that essence and that soul found that balance, that's when the worth was known. And it took so much therapy to figure that out. I have my days, don't worry. I have my days of self-hate, and but, but I know how to get myself out of it quicker now. Yeah, tell me how you get yourself out of it. I watch TV, I watch Netflix, a lot of Netflix. My safe space is my bed. And then when I'm ready, I can come out from there and I can deal with the real world. And that's okay to do. People have to realize that it's you don't have to be guilty about doing that. There's no guilt in that. This will make you better for tomorrow. It'll make you a better parent for your children. It'll make you a better child for your parents, for school, for your work, for a human, for everyone else around you. This will make you a better self for you if you take that extra two hours to do that. I commend you for doing all of that therapy. I mean, that's a lot of work. Thank you. Thank you. What was your lowest? There were so many lows. I never had one initial bottom. It took all these different types of bottoms and all these highs that I had, these good points in my life, these good moments in my life to come to this moment. And that's what it's about. It's these moments. I do this a lot now. I go, well, that was a moment or this is a moment because I acknowledge the moments now. I didn't do that before. And I think a lot of people need to start acknowledging moments. Even just my youngest niece, who's five, just saying, I love you, Uncle Eric. Like, that's a moment. A big moment. It's, it's the moment. I mean, come on. These are, it's just, we have to, we have to acknowledge these things that are going on around us, even if it's a bad moment, because we have to acknowledge those too. Or we'll never know what these good moments are. That's the balance in life. That is the balance in life. That's how we keep balancing ourselves. So there are moments that I get upset. I think, what would my life have been if that didn't happen? But I don't know. I think I'm doing pretty good stuff because it did happen. Do you think everyone should see a therapist? I think everyone should see a therapist. I think therapy is so important. The bad thing is it's not accessible to everyone. That's the bad thing. And you can talk about your nonprofit now. I like to talk about my nonprofit. My nonprofit, Coherently Aware Now, we are a brand new nonprofit. We help sexual assault survivors, people with substance abuse and dual diagnosis. We are trying to get people into treatment centers, good treatment centers, and advocate with them while they're in the treatment center, not for them, but with them, because we want to make sure that they have a voice in this process. We don't want them to lose their voice in this process. We are the first nonprofit to do this in the United States because funding is very hard in the United States to get people into treatment. If you don't have insurance, you are in trouble. Even if you do have insurance, you're still in trouble. <laughs> what are we talking cost-wise? Cost-wise, it's about it, start, it could start at $30,000 a month to get in there. That's without insurance. If you have insurance, some insurance will partially cover. So you can be in there dealing with, with trauma. So let's, let's, say you, let's say you get into treatment. You're there for the first week. You get, you're in detox. You're in the med. You go to your room and you're just, you're just there, right? Second week, you get into your other room, your real room, not, not in the med 
area. You go into a little bit of therapy, but insurance starts looking at your insurance every two weeks. So they determine every two weeks if they'll keep covering you. By the third week, you find out if you're going to stay longer or not. Third week, you start doing some trauma work. And now you're going to find out if you're going to stay a little bit longer or not. Insurance says, we can't cover you anymore. So now you have someone who is now starting to crack their egg of their trauma. The yolk's starting to drip down and now they have to leave. A treatment center would do, they would, they would call us and say, listen, their insurance won't cover them. So they can call us and say, listen, we need some help here. Can you help us? And if we have the funding, we would do it. So we are in desperate need of, of donations and funding right now. We are doing our first big fundraiser on August 14th. We're doing Rocky Horror. That's hopefully going to be a huge success. We Congratulations. Need- Thank you so much. I'm super excited about this. Super excited. I mean, you're taking steps totally in the right direction. I mean, you became a 5013C. That's big. Yeah. It's stressful. It's hard. And But I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop because this is so important. Humans are not throwaways. We need to have humanity and save people. I have one more like crazy question to ask you. And I actually have another call in like seven minutes, but I got to know this. Do you know who gave you HIV and did you try to contact them? I didn't. I do not. I don't really tell this story much. So you might be getting the exclusive on this. I wanted to die so bad that I looked for it. I was hoping that I would get it. It's horrible. But I was so deep in my in my drug use, I didn't care. That's how I know something. someone's watching over me because I became the most healthiest after I got it. This was not the life I was meant to live in. So I didn't know how to navigate myself into in this life. And so I really just wanted to die. I, I thought HIV, I was like, that's the way to go. That's the way to kill me. What so, is it like though, living with HIV? It hasn't stopped me from anything. I, I, I'm on medication. My numbers are really good. It's not what it used to be. And I would like to make this clear that it's not just a gay sickness or it's not just a gay disease. It's an everyone disease. So let's make that clear on this podcast because I know that's going around right now. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember anything from Rocky Horror Picture Show that you can act out right now? I'm not, I'm not acting in it. But you did. No, I was a sex slave. I mean, well, isn't that perfect? Well, that just made that real. Wow. Yeah, I was a sex slave. Shit. Well, that just brought real life to life. Oh, by the way, whoever's listening to this, you can go to the www.thesafecircle.org to check out my nonprofit. Yeah, you're going to give me all the links of where I can tag you. And I suck at this. I'm so bad at this. We have to like connect on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, all that before this airs. Okay. And TikTok. Anita Buffet. It was so great connecting with you. Thank you so much for having me. I loved connecting with you. Thank you for your excitement. Thank you for your vulnerability and to be continued. And I'm glad I woke up for this. (laughs) Me too. Bye. Bye. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. This is a story about Eric, who is in search for love, searching for self-identity, searching that he feels that he's different. Unfortunately, as we've talked in even other episodes, there are predators that are out there for someone that's naive about the real world and naive about what drugs and alcohol and what sexual abuse can occur when you put those ingredients together, and especially when someone is different, searching out ways of having pleasure and searching out for love. And it doesn't have to be just him. 
It could be a young girl. It could be a young boy. And disaster is just waiting around the corner. The sad part is, is that because, you know, I know people that this has happened to where whether it's a girl or a male, as I've already mentioned, get all drugged up and they don't even realize that this sexual encounter is a complete molestation or rape or abuse of the person. And they're not even sure that this has really occurred to them because they block it out. They're all so high and involved in what they think is a pleasure act. And it really isn't even surfaced sometimes until maybe even years later, which is just incredible because people have a way of blocking out the horror of certain things and still try to take some good out of it. Isn't that remarkable? Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 